0: Hi everybody, thanks for welcoming us into your homes. We're continuing on our series this week on Next Steps. And we're talking about a porch experience today. This this idea of a porch being this intermediary between being outside and being inside. You know the front porch was really culturally significant from about the middle of the 19th century Till just after the Second World War. It was significant for family, for community, and for nature. It was really considered to be a middle distance. Uh, during that era of time, uh, because homes didn't have air conditioning, in the summertime, people would spend their evenings on the porch, socializing. Families would come to the porch and play games together. Neighbors walking by on the street would often say hi or come on up into the porch. The porch was kind of like neutral territory, a territory that wasn't quite private and wasn't entirely public. A place for, well, community, for belonging. As time went on after the Second World War and television became more important, uh, actually socializing moved towards more the backyard and fences were created. And this created some distance between neighbors. And and some sociologists tell us that it was uh, perhaps a step that that increased the uh, probability that uh, um, uh, home break-ins and nefarious activities could be happening in neighborhoods because people didn't socialize as much with their neighbors. They get to know their neighbors as well. They tended to be more isolated in their backyards. But anyway, we're talking about the church and the kingdom of God and porch experiences, this idea of what it means to be introduced to becoming a follower of Jesus as a porch kind of experience. We have several porch ministries at CLCC. We have Mom and Me and VBS, Vacation Bible School. We have our Hope Projects. We have Treasure Quest. We have Parents' Night Off. We have Online Church. And these are all kinds of porch Experiences that we that we have for people to try to get them introduced to knowing Jesus, and we're just beginning a new one this uh, fall called Alpha, which is a wonderful porch experience where people can come and ask questions and and get to understand in a friendly environment in a in an environment where they can ask any questions that they may want. Let's read about the Apostle Paul on the front porch of the early church. I remember, last week we talked about uh, his uh, uh, journey to Damascus in order to persecute Christians and how uh, a light from heaven came to him and, and he fell to the ground and he was blinded by the light. And Jesus spoke to him and called him and told him to go to Damascus and, and, and wait for further instructions, basically. That's where we pick up our story. Acts chapter 9, verse 10 to 19. In Damascus, there was a disciple named And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, So, Father, thank you for your word to us today. Thank you for this wonderful porch experience that Saul had as, as he was beginning his journey of understanding what it meant to be your follower and, and, and becoming part of the community of faith, part of the church, and, and his entering into the kingdom of Thank you for Ananias and for his faithful witness and for his obedience to be there with Saul, and uh, in spite of his fear, um, talk to him and pray with him. Thank you, Lord, that you involve us as well in porch ministries. And thank you for your grace in all of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we notice, first of all, that Jesus uses people to welcome people home. Get the imagery that that the Apostle Paul is is basically coming home. He's, He's coming into community. He's beginning to belong. He's an outsider who's going to become an insider. Uh, the same story is 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 kind of told in, in a different way in the story of Peter and Cornelius in the very next chapter of Acts uh, Chapter 10 verse 1 to 23 in in that story uh, Cornelius is a centurion. So uh, he's a God-fearer, but he's not a Jew and Peter the Apostle the one who betrayed the Lord and was so famous in in the Gospels uh, is told to go and talk to him and introduce him to Jesus and Peter is reluctant because Uh, Jews and Gentiles uh, didn't associate with one another. In fact, a a Jewish person would never even go into a Gentile's home, and yet uh, Peter is convinced by uh, um, the Lord that he should do this, and he approaches Cornelius' house, and he steps into the house, and uh, he puts off all of the the Jewish kind of stigmas in regard to what food he could eat, he couldn't eat, and who he should associate with, and what was clean and what was unclean. And this was a huge step for Christianity. In, in fact, we might say it was one small step for Peter, and this is one small step for Ananias to go into the house on straight streets and talk to Paul. But this is one huge, giant leap for Christianity, for the kingdom of God. And Ananias is reluctant to do this. He is reluctantly obedient. In fact, he, he argues a little bit with the Lord about this. Uh, you, you know who that guy is, uh, Jesus? You know, uh, I've heard of all the trouble he's caused the Christians in Jerusalem, and you want me to go talk to him? But he, he's convinced, and he's obedient. Uh, we can't forget here that uh, Stephen, who was martyred in chapter 7, has a role to play in this story. See, Stephen uh, was uh, an evangelist, and he was preaching the gospel, and in fact, the longest sermon in the book of Acts is spoken by Stephen just before he is stoned to death, And, and Saul who is the persecutor, is standing and and perhaps urging, cheering on the crowd to stone Stephen to death, and they're laying their clothes, they took their clothes off in order to pick up rocks to stone Stephen, they're laying them at at Saul's feet, and the very last thing that Stephen says, he says, you know, basically, Father, forgive them, Uh, don't hold this sin against them, and then he dies. I would imagine during that interval between when Jesus appears to Saul and then those three days where he can't see and he's and he's in that home in Damascus that he's pondering this sermon because. This sermon by Stephen, he he just basically gave it to Saul with both barrels. I mean, he told the story of Israel. He told the story of Jesus. He asked the Jews to repent for crucifying Jesus, that he was Christ, he was the Lord. And then he forgave them, just as Jesus forgave his persecutors on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they do not what they do. And I think this must have been playing on Saul's mind through this whole three days as he was blind and praying and wondering, about what all this means and perhaps repenting of this idea that he had about Christians and and he's basically coming to gain a whole new insight. Ananias calls Saul brother Saul when he meets him. Did did that strike you as strange? To me it was. It's basically a leap of faith. He's beginning to, he's immediately talking to Saul as if he's an insider. He's not treating them like an outsider. He's saying, Brother Saul, as if already he's being welcomed into the kingdom. And this is typical of porch kinds of ministries where we welcome people. We come alongside people. We endeavor to to, uh, help them understand what it means to be a follower and treat them as followers of Jesus. Notice that obedience and faith are needed by people who are welcoming others on the porch of the kingdom of God. We noticed in our text as well, in chapter 9, three new descriptions for Christians. And last week, we saw the the term, the way. Uh, Christians were called the people of the way in chapter 9, verse 2. And uh, that's a fascinating, and and several of the times in the book of Acts, Christians are called the way. It it, it really means that there are people who follow a certain way. And it comes from Jesus in John's gospel, uh, in chapter 14, where Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 2, Christians are called not only the way, but the way of truth after Christ. That's a that's a really fine description of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, We are followers of the way of truth. Isn't truth so important these days, especially as followers of Jesus in a world where there are so many deceptions and so many lies? And it's really hard for people to understand that there is a truth and that truth is found in Jesus Christ. It's centered on him. And we should be known. We should be described as people of the truth. And the second term here that's that's used for the first time of Christians is saints in the, in the book of Acts. Uh, this is verse 13. We're saints. That comes from a word which means we're holy. And holy means to be set apart, to be different, to be unusual, to be unique, to be set apart for God's purposes. And that's a great description, isn't it, of who we are? We, we are people who have been set apart for God's purposes. And then in verse 14, uh, Christians are called those who call upon your name. Those who call upon your name. Isn't that a really cool description of who we intend to be? We are people who call upon the name of the Lord. People who pray. People who, who uh, know the Lord and call upon his name. I think that we all need to try to live up to those descriptors of who we are, people of truth, uh, people who are saints set apart, and people who call upon his name. Now, Saul needs more than zeal, and and Saul's got a lot of zeal. (laughs) Uh, There's one thing that we could say about Saul is he was a zealous guy. Uh, He was zealous before he came to know the Lord and his persecution of Christians. He is zealous after he comes to the Lord in his preaching of the gospel and all the places he goes and all the people he sees and all the arguments he has with with philosophers. He even argues with with, uh, uh, people in the church who who, uh, aren't willing to accept Gentiles or perhaps reluctant to see all that Jesus has done for the world. And so, you know, Paul is full of zeal. He's got that in spades. But Ananias says to him, he has sent me, Jesus sent me, so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So after the bright light, after the three days of darkness... Saul's going to see again. His eyes are going to be open. And notice the significance of this three days of darkness. Remember the sign of Jonah, three days in the belly of the great fish. Notice Jesus, three days in the grave, in the darkness, so to speak. So here we have Saul as well in the darkness before he sees the light. Saul Saul is going to get some new insight. The scales are going to fall off his eyes. He is going to see some things from a whole different perspective. This is what we might call a huge paradigm shift. Now, the word paradigm is, is a word that was coined by um, a fellow by the name of Thomas Kuhn in the 1960s. He, walked, he talked and wrote about science and how uh, paradigms would shift in science when people would come to new understandings about how the world works. And one example would be uh, when people believed the world was flat, uh, They, they, uh, there were some anomalies. There were things that they couldn't explain if the world was flat. For example, why the curvature of the earth? Uh, why is it that we've never really come to the end and fallen off? Uh, it appears as if uh, uh, the world is circling and the stars are circling. So, so it seemed more fitting that the world might be a circle, but the... The paradigm of the world at the time was the earth was flat. But when someone, a luminary, put together all these anomalies, these things that didn't make sense in the earth as flat theories, and came up with a new idea, the the earth is round. And that's an example of a paradigm shift, but we, we have paradigm shifts all the time. When the pieces come together, so the Apostle Paul has a paradigm shift. So so some of the anomalies, though, though he believed the Jewish faith as he had understood it was absolutely accurate for now and forever, all of a sudden he saw some things that didn't fit. We call those anomalies. The anomalies were why did Christians show such patience? Why are Christians loving one another as they did? Why did Stephen forgive uh, those who were persecuting him? Why did Jesus fall, die on the cross as he did? And, and what did those Old Testament uh, scriptures like Isaiah 53 mean, except that they were perhaps referring to Jesus? And so the paradigm shift for Paul, his eyes are open and these pieces come together and he says, aha, the scales fall off his eyes, not only literally, but, f- but spiritually. And uh, people have aha moments on the porch. And, and this is so true for all of us when we first are, are coming to know Jesus. There's, there's a new way of seeing the world, a new way of seeing things, a new way of seeing Christians. And I think there's something supernatural here. I think there's something beyond just a a, a mental uh, convincing or an argument that he has come to resolve in his own mind. I I think when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we get the mind of Christ or we get some kind of uh, refreshing or renewing or a new understanding of the world around us. You see, yielding to Jesus is not only a heart issue, it's also a mind issue. It's not only about feelings and about a sense of warmth and love and growth and and all of those things that we tend to describe as heart issues. It's also a mind issue. We begin to see things differently. So many followers of Jesus, after they uh, newly come to know Jesus, say, the world looks different. The world looks fresh. Uh, when When I read the Bible, all of a sudden it makes sense to me. I'm seeing my circumstances in a different light. Well... Saul has the scales fall from his eyes. He's, he's also filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's an interesting expression that uh, Luke loves, and he uses it in his gospels. Uh, in his gospel, three times he uses it of John the Baptizer when he's in his mother's womb. Uh, he leaps for joy. He uses it of John's mother Elizabeth in Luke one thirty nine to forty five because she too is filled with the Holy Spirit. Uses it of Zechariah, John the Baptizer's dad, and he too is filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke 1, verse 67. And each time they're filled with the Spirit, Luke tells us they all express with joy that Jesus is the Christ. So this filling of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel means filled with joy, expressing this idea that Jesus is the Christ. Luke likes the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit so much that he uses the term five times in the book of Acts. Chapter 2, 4, 4, 8, 4, 31, 9, 17, and 13, 9. And again, every time someone in the book of Acts is filled with the Holy Spirit, they immediately respond by testifying about Jesus to the world. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit in Luke and in Acts means to be filled with this wonderful uh, understanding of who Jesus is and this desire to express it, to say it to others, to talk to others about who Jesus is. Boy, this is so important in the porch experience when when we... um, uh, talk to and interact with friends around the porch that we would be filled with the spirit, that we would talk about Jesus as the Christ, as as who he really is, and, and express our joy over knowing him. So in our porch experiences, when when we're meeting people on the porch or when we come onto the porch, we can expect some things to happen. Jesus brings people onto the porch. Uh, Don't think this is simply about weekend uh, church events. Now, when I talk about porch, I think sometimes we think about church lobby. I'm not talking about the church lobby, though the church lobby can be a porch kind of experience for people. But most porch experiences are uh, outside the church facilities, off the property. Porch experiences happen in in commuter trains, uh, on uh, uh, streetcars. uh, on plane rides porch experiences happen in people's living rooms porch experiences happen uh in in high school as as we uh meet friends who are who are beginning to uh ask questions about who jesus is they happen all over the place they, they do happen in church but mainly porch experience remember uh, saul is not in a synagogue uh having a porch experience saul is in a home uh a judas's home uh, uh on Straight Street in Damascus when, when uh, uh, Ananias comes and uh, talks to him and prays for him. Notice also that Jesus uses us to welcome people home. This is not just something that Jesus does in bringing people on the porch and giving them new insight or filling them with the Spirit, but Jesus uses obedient servants to come alongside This requires faith, it requires boldness, it requires obedience. It's sometimes not easy to talk to people who are going through a porch experience, who are brand new to the faith, and and welcome them and love on them and, and pray with them. We also need to be filled with the Spirit. We need the fullness of the Spirit so that we would, with joy, express our devotion, our love, and our understanding of who Jesus is. I pray for each one of us to be having experiences where we are filled with the Spirit so that we can share with boldness and faith and obedience who Jesus really is. Let's pray together. So Lord Jesus, we pray that you would enable us as we endeavor to uh, discern who our friends uh, are out there that are on the porch, having porch experiences. Perhaps they're having questions. Perhaps they're involved in some kind of uh, uh, sad situation in their life or having some kind of uh, traumatic experience, and and they're they're beginning to wonder about Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would would prompt us if you would like us to say something and you would like us to come alongside them and, and, and welcome them home to know Jesus. So give us faith, give us courage, give us boldness, fill us with your Spirit, we pray. And we pray, Lord, that we would meet more people on the porch, that we'd meet more people in transition from from not knowing you to knowing you, and and, uh, give us the insight to recognize these people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The question of the day today is, do you know of anybody who's on the porch? Can you identify anybody in your life, in, in, in your family circle, in your friend circle, in your work circle, in school circle, who perhaps is on the porch? Maybe, maybe some things have been going on in their life, and uh, they're, they're hearing Jesus talk to them. Uh, can you be bold enough to talk to them about Jesus? Talk to them about your faith. Talk to them about your experience with Jesus. Pray for them. And if you get the opportunity, pray with them. Hank Snow was an old country western singer, actually before my time, I only know of Hank Snow because I knew his son uh, when I was a little boy, Jimmy Snow, who happened to be an evangelist in in Eastern Canada. Um, He had uh, come to know the Lord uh, in a miraculous way, I still remember his testimony, he was a raging alcoholic and marvelously came to know Jesus and, uh, and went around sharing the Gospel. But Hank Snow used to sing a song that we used to sing in church, if I remember correctly, when I was a little kid. I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. I see Jesus just over in the promised land. Work is over. Now I'm coming to thee. I see Jesus standing, waiting for me. And that was taken, of course, from the passage uh, in uh, Acts Gospel chapter 7, where uh, Stephen is talking about seeing Jesus actually in the new testament there are four experiences of a vision of a risen and glorified jesus we have it in uh, the story of stephen uh, in Acts 7 we have it in the story of of paul's conversion here in acts 9 we have it on the mount of transfiguration in matthew 17 where some of the disciples saw jesus transfigured transformed into the resurrected uh, glorified jesus and we have it in John, in Re- by John in, Revelation, in the book of Revelation as he talks about Jesus in the vision of Jesus that he sees. And each of these experiences of the risen, glorified Jesus profoundly, profoundly affect the people who see Jesus. You know what? I, I, I think we all need a fresh vision of Jesus. I I think sometimes we get so caught up and so entwined and and over-involved in the circumstance that we we forget to see Jesus for who he really is. And and, uh, that's my prayer for us. My prayer for us is that we would have a fresh vision of Jesus, his great love for us, his power, his authority, his appeal to us, his call to us, so that we too could be like Ananias and like Peter going to Cornelius, and we'd be bold and reaching out to people and talking to them about our faith in Jesus Christ. Well, God bless you. Have a great week. Our doxology is from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.